Hey guys, this is Brandon Brown with Goat Talk Podcast, powered by DesignWise. I have uh, former educator Matt Dean Lett, or Matthew Dean Lett, whichever one you want to call him. Uh, he is currently a uh, UX UI designer. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Cool, cool, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah. Nice to have you, man. Me and Matt, we've been uh, we've been friends for. No, no, five, six. Yes, it's, it's five, six years. Yeah, yeah, about. Good God, about. Yeah, yeah. We we've, we've kind of uh, we've had a crazy, crazy journey, uh, personal, professional. Um, but uh, it's really it's been interesting. Um, we've kind of always stuck through whatever it was that mm-hmm. you know we've kind of encountered or endured. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on and. Uh, doing this with us absolutely man yeah anything i can do to support you um i know you've always been someone that stands by certain principles and values and you have the passion to serve your community so um as a fellow creative well first as a friend of course um but as a fellow creative anything i can do to support that you know i'm, I'm always going to be involved in it nice yeah man. appreciate that bro yeah man Tell us, uh, tell us about who you are, man. Let the community know. Uh, yeah, man. Well, uh, so I first got involved in fine art when I was a kid. Um, I come from a creative family. My mom, she studied fashion merchandising, and my grandmother also was in the fashion industry. So growing up in our house, it was always this appreciation of aesthetics, craftsmanship, the way things are built, the way things are designed. I experienced that through my grandmother and her passion um we had a a basement in our house growing up in long island and um my dad had converted one of the small rooms into like a little fashion studio so my grandmother had her little uh all her her pieces of fabric all lined up on wooden boards and she had her sewing machine she had well for fashion people listening to this it's called a merrill machine and she so she did all kinds of stuff in the bottom of that basement And my mom was one of those people where, you know, the house was always designed well and just this appreciation for experience. So when people come to the house, they have a certain air. And then my grandfather, he was a photographer for the New York press and he did that for a while. And uh, he was also um, traditionally trained as a mason, a masonry person. So he can lay down tiles and brick and things like that. And he did a lot of like just interior custom woodwork in people's houses in Far Rockaway, Queens. And so just a lot of creativity. And then my dad, um, he worked in the automotive industry. So uh, you know that about me, just that, that passion for cars and engineering and automotive design. So that's just been my root and my foundation. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, a lot of art, always drawing, cartoons, Japanese anime, you know, just anywhere we can find creative things in media you know i think us as creative people are always going to find those things went to art school after high school um got into school of visual arts that was a very challenging process that was a two and a half year process to get my portfolio ready for that um and then something interesting happened i got to school of visual arts and i said i don't want to do this anymore it's weird and a lot of people don't know that Um, I worked very hard to get into a school that once I got there, I felt very alone. And I'll talk about that more of why I felt alone. I think going to School of Visual Arts was the first time in my life where I realized I had limited my belief about myself. And I think I believed that all I was was an artist. I did really badly in high school and I got really bad grades. 
So I rooted myself in art and the art community because I felt safe there. Those were the rebels, right? Those were the ones that didn't have the high SAT score. Yeah. Those were the ones that didn't have to go to every class because they were going to be an artist. So we don't need academia. So I think I kind of subscribed to that culture um, without properly discovering myself. So when I got into art school, I realized at that point I was more than just art. And uh, there's an interesting journey that comes from there. <laughs> so we could talk about that as, as we go on. But uh, my foundation is just art and creative uh, appreciating aesthetics, appreciating craftsmanship, appreciating the way people experience things and, you know, always having an eye to detail. So that's, that was my upbringing always around art and stuff. Wow. Wow. How did you, so you went to visual art school. Yes. Your mother was, your grandmother, your mother was a fashion. Yeah. My grandmother was in the fashion industry okay. and my mom as well. Yeah. Gotcha. So how did you choose design out of all the fathers in photography? You know, you, you've kind of had like a, a family background of them kind of going in different routes. Mm-hmm. How did you choose design with, you know, your, your other family members doing so many other things? Like, <laughs> was that a hard thing? Like, was it like, okay, I could go into fashion. I could go into photography. I could like, okay. So I'm going to confess something um, that a lot of people don't know except my wife mm-hmm. and my mother. Deep down inside, I've always had a passion to work in the fashion world. But to answer your question, um, I chose it because it was safe. Mm. And I felt like I could still be who I was through graphic design and digital arts. Mm -hmm. Um, So I decided to go that road. Do you think that... Like, do you think you made the right choice? Like, is design, now being in the design industry, is it something where it's just like, okay, this is where, this is where I should have been all along? <laughs> you, you, you asked me a dangerous question because <laughs> it's loaded with so much. So, I mean, you and I have had these conversations and we recently talked about this. What I realize in retrospect about myself is that, yes, I am creative in my foundation, but I think my entire career has been a self-limitation. I think I've limited myself for many years on how I can use creativity in my career. I chose a a road that I got comfortable in. Now, yes, I'm good at graphic design. I'm good at web design. There's, There's no doubt that I'm good at that stuff. But I think my passion is more in how can I use creativity and design to build something tangible for people to experience. Mm. So I'll give you a scenario. Like one of the things that I still daydream about is what if I was hired to design a restaurant experience? What if I was desired to, what if I was hired, excuse me, to um, design the experience of someone's home? Like when you walk in that house, what does that couch look like? What does the table settings look like? I think in an ideal world, that's what goes on in the back of my head a lot is I analyze experiences and then i'm using that design conversation in my head and those design principles like contrast line weight texture pattern um those conversations tend to happen in my head about products and services more than a poster or a business card does that make sense Mm -hmm. so i think that is really ultimately what i've always dreamt about but i kind of always limited myself throughout the years gotcha okay so before because you are a user experience designer now. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, you were a educator. Correct. You were an educator. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. What was that like? So I got 
into education by accident. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to Full Sail, which is a fast forward from my New York story about the days of School of Visual Arts, to catch people up. I basically left New York with my parents when they moved to Orlando, Florida. And uh, I was in a position where I was like, you know what? I don't feel like living on my own. I'm just going to live with them. <laughs> so I got accepted to a school called Full Sail University and uh, decided to study the digital arts and design curriculum that they had. Fast forward, upon graduation, there was a gentleman there. Uh, his name was Bill Bain. Really great guy. Um, at least to me, I had really good experiences with him. And he decides to, to tell me, hey, listen, um, I know you're graduating in the next couple of days, but if you're ever looking for something, give me a call. And uh, about a month, two months later, I got offered an opportunity to be a lab specialist, which is like a labby, mm -hmm. right? You just go in, you monitor the students doing their work and you help them if they have questions. So I stumbled into education by accident. And I worked throughout Full Sail for years and years and you get promoted to, you know, ACD, Associate Course Director and the appropriate titles within the organization. And eventually, after a couple of years, I got to Course Director where I'm actually teaching, building curriculum, um, doing lectures, helping students with their projects, building projects. Um, and it's been a very personal thing for me where it's been fulfilling to, to serve others and to help people in their careers. I've had an amazing experience with it. You're working with design students, obviously. Mm -hmm. And what, what type of design are we talking? Are we So these are graphic design the specific students that I was working with, these are graphic design students mm -hmm. that the, where I was teaching in their degree track, I was helping them bridge the relationship between traditional graphic design principles and UX principles. Got it. And how to design actual experiences for users. So that was specifically the curriculum that I was teaching. What would you say was the hardest thing to teach students? Because I, I've always felt like design students or just students in general, even being from film school, like we kind of like have this romanticization of <laughs> like what our life should be. Yeah. And it's just like we, we kind of have to like teach students like, hey, you have to actually put some work in. Correct. And I feel like when you're in, when you're in something like, you know, design school, like film school, like you kind of have this idea that like things are just going to work out for you. Correct. You know, you're always going to find a job because, Correct. you know, you're coming out of design school. So Correct. like, how do you, like what, what type of, you know, mentoring or like what type of teaching do you do with sure. students like that who kind of sure. feel like. Yeah. You know. So I had a two layer approach. The first approach is I believe that. The, this is my opinion. The best mentors are the ones who use their life. Okay. Um, sometimes you got to check out the fruit in people's life before you drink from their well. Um, there's a gentleman uh, that I read his book one time and he said in a speaking engagement, he said, the well that you drink from is the well that you think from and ultimately what you will become. Mm -hmm. So I always believe that it's my responsibility to be very transparent and candid with my students so I could use my own life, no matter how uncomfortable it was for me to talk to them about it. I wanted them to hear my life so they can understand how to navigate through theirs. So I never mentored or taught from a place of you need to do this to be successful. But I would always let students know very openly, hey, listen, we're all on the same path. I just happen to be on exit 23 yeah. and you've just now come on exit four. 
Mm-hmm. Here are some potholes I just saw driving on the highway. Be careful. You might want to get in the left lane mm-hmm. to avoid that pothole on exit 10. Right. Because these are common things that we see in our journey as designers or as professionals in general. So that was my first approach is I used my life. The second thing that I did um, was I always tried to focus on building the person not the techniques and and the strategies and how to use the software because ultimately we're people using age-old traditionals of design principles they're not new they weren't invented in 1995 like design principles have been around for a long time Mm -hmm. um but they've been modified in their language and in their use throughout the years so instead of focusing on this is typography this is color this is contrast i try to focus more on helping students become good observers because if they could train themselves to wake up every day and pay attention to how they use their phone how is the door designed and measured that they walk through into their bathroom when they walk into their car how did the door handle feel when you sat down and you put the key in the ignition how did that feel? Was it a hard kind of click, click turn? Did it turn softly? And some people will say, but Matthew, what does that have to do with UX design or graphic design? But I think because of my art background, we as art students were taught to observe more than draw because mm-hmm. your drawings improve by what you see and how you're processing from the eyes to the brain, into the fingers and the hands. So I try to show students the importance of observing patterns recognizing those patterns and asking questions about those patterns and how they can get involved in making the right decisions for people in what they ultimately will consume, whether it's a poster or a business card. I think that's where you start. I think that's what's lacking in education today. It's too much technique, 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 strategy, strategy, strategy. This is how you do it. Tutorials, tutorials. And that is important because you need to be able to be a good craftsman of of whatever you're doing. But I think the students that can observe, talk to people and be a human and know how to ask questions that will lead them to the, to the path they need to take to whatever they need to solve or design for people. That's what I tried to focus on when I was a, a, an instructor at Full Sail. I guess I always thought like with film school, you're going to come out of here and you're going to go to L.A., you're going to go to New York or you're going to go to Atlanta Mm -hmm. and you're just going to hop straight into the industry and things are just going to be okay. You're going to make money, Mm -hmm. you know, but then it's crazy. You know, you start hearing about your friends who are you know coming out of film school and you start hearing about real life experiences. Oh, I got those coming. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and like, you know, I, I. I remember like hearing about like friends that went out to LA and working on yeah. set, yeah. but living out their cars. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like getting paid, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, but they, they, they can't afford to, yeah. you know, grab an apartment or they can't afford to even roommate with someone. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they they love what they do. They're Absolutely. still working, yeah. you know, the industry. So for me, it's weird. It's always been like, you know, somebody who is like gung ho about like film industry, they were looking at me like, ah, oh, that's the life. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's how you, you know, earn your stripes. For yeah. me, it was always like, I don't know if I want to live this life. Correct. I don't know if I want to be living out of my car knowing that I'm getting paid, but I can't afford to. I, I don't want that. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of what I meant. Like being in school, like you, you just kind of think you're just going to kind of come out of here and things are going to be great. And then you realize that it's not as great as you think. Yeah. So for me, I felt like I needed to kind of tailor my journey 
to Correct. somewhere else. Correct. You know? Yeah. Because there I could at least find an opportunity that would establish me and establish, you know, my place of living and like Correct. you know, a lifestyle that I want. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, not to say that it's an easier route either. It's yep. just uh it's just a better route with more of a, a little bit more of a you know secured yeah. space. I hundred percent like agree with you. You know, Brandon, I, I'm a traditionalist and a modernist and a futurist all together in one person. There are certain principles in me that are very hardwired. There are there are times in life where we must bootstrap our life together, and it's either you do it or you don't. If you're looking for comfort all your life, then you're never going to make anything happen. But at the same time, I do believe in responsibilities. I come from a school thinking, in terms of thinking, um, my parents raised me foundations first. So I felt as a young person leaving full sail as a student, my skills were not at a certain place to get a certain type of job. And I was very real with myself. And I always told my students that along my journey. I remember being a lab person the first day. And a student came up to me and said, what could you potentially teach us? And you haven't even gotten one design job yet. I said, I could teach you what I know so you don't make the mistakes that I made. And he just looked at me like, oh, wow. Okay. What do you want to share? My greatest blessing that I've ever received was what Bill Bain did for me. I think what he realized as a student, this kid got talent, but I want to help him. He provided a way for me to earn a stable income right out of college. I could have paid all my bills. And then I was learning at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes by contributing to people in their education, you're actually learning about yourself in the process. I think, to, to digress a little bit, I think where a lot of educators become arrogant, they become full of themselves in their own knowledge and in the position they hold in society. In reality, when you become an educator... It's an opportunity as a mirror to look at yourself because by helping other people, sometimes the students are teaching me. Right. So I loved doing that because it allowed me to give. There's something about stability that helps you move in the bigger things. A lot of times what I find with students, they want to go from student to millionaire overnight. They want to go from student to Porsche. Mm -hmm. I want to drive a Porsche. I want to own a million dollar company. I want to be the next Twitter founder or, yeah. you know, whatever company they want to build. And, and what happens sometimes is they rush the process. And you and I, we've had the conversation yeah. about that. What, what building in stages allows young people to do is to safely and strategically with risk find out what you really want to be in life. I know that's a very opposite narrative of what we see on social media, which is, oh, if you're young, oh, travel the world, don't save money, just do what you need to do, do whatever you want, just live your passion. And, and that is a route that some people can go. I'm much more of a traditionalist. I believe in foundations because at least as you try certain things in life, if something doesn't work out, you know that your life is still put together. Yeah. For me also too, I had just gotten married. So now I have another life that I need to be responsible for. So I couldn't be that young 20-something-year-old kid that was just hopping from one internship to another and working at like a coffee house at night. And that's not to throw shade at people who take that path. But for me, I personally believed in responsibilities. I got to take care of these things first. I got to start building a savings account. 
And working at Full Sail allowed me to do that and learn. And I was able to do freelance at the same time. And that's when I started getting into the web world and taking freelance projects. I had that flexibility to do that, to learn and to work on a website for 500 bucks, to work on a website for $300 because I wasn't looking at my bills. I was looking at the opportunity and that's what helped me grow. And as I was able to do that and full sale, it allowed me to be a better teacher because now I'm growing in myself because as an educator, how can I give to my students if I'm not actively involved in the industry? So I tried always to share my life with the students that things are patience things is a process it's about people building it's about networking and it's about knowing where you're at at all times sometimes i've found that students goals are too big for their ambition and their ambition is not aligned with their work ethic and their daily habits Mm. The, the work ethic and the mentality and the personal development that is required to be a CEO is very different than the process of becoming a graphic designer. And I think what students don't understand, because they haven't been exposed to that in their educational track, let's just face it, they weren't teaching entrepreneurship in full sale. It's not a shade at full right. sale. It's just the reality. They came in there to get a design degree. So they come out with these entrepreneurial goals. And I'm like, whoa, slow down. <laughs> That's another track that you have to now invest in. So take it easy, respect the process, do the work, and everything will unfold in due time. And that's what I tried to always tell my students. And I use my personal life always as an example. I think what makes a really good mentor and educator is if you're going to pour into people, make sure you're living a life that you're speaking about to them. Um, I wasn't one of those educators who just parked up my passion for a teaching position and that was it. I taught and I went out there and worked. I taught and went out there and built relationships. I I taught and I went out and built a business. Um, And that's how I think I best served my students is that when I came to the classroom, I always had something to show them. I always had a new project to to check out with them and, and talk about it with them. I brought my projects into the lectures. I even helped, I even allowed them to help me solve problems for my clients so then they could see a real world application to what they were learning in the classroom. So it's all about being a relational with your students, talking with them. Um, I've had times where I've uh, bought grocery for students because I, I knew the challenges that they were facing as a, you know, as a student and just learning about the creative industry. And um, we got to support one another. And, and not be condescending to our students or if you're a mentor, your mentees, you know, uh, I believe in that. And I think that's how we, we, we build that next generation of designers is always investing in their academia, their professional development, their technical and creative development, as well as their emotional development. That's how you build that holistic product to better serve the industry once they get out there. Because at the end of the day, it's people working with people to make things for people. Right. Like that's, what people that's what people don't realize. It's not about creative cloud or, or you know, <laughs> the, the latest version of, of a MacBook Pro that came out. Like, right. hey, bro, I got that new Apple iPad Pro. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's like at the end of the day, it's people working with people to design things for people. And I think that's what people forget. So what, what caused you to leave education? Well... I personally had reached a place in in my life where you can only serve at the level you're growing. So Full Sail was a great foundation for me because it taught me about um, 
corporate America. It taught me about building curriculum. I learned communication skills. I learned how to write reports. I learned how to work with higher level management. Um, I was just a creative kid that didn't have certain polishing when it came to the job world. So Full Sail was good for that. Um, it provided me an atmosphere to serve students, grow, learn. Um, and I had reached a place where inside there was a question being asked to myself where it's like, are you growing? You know, um, you need to shift. And I just came to that place where I said, you know what? I need to shift. Um, I think also too, you and I had a conversation at one point, uh, you brought up some really powerful questions that I had to ask myself. Uh, some of those things I, I, won't, I won't talk about here, but <laughs> <laughs> Brandon just hit me with a whole bunch of questions. I'll just like, yo, this guy's throwing shade at me, man. Like <laughs> this man. So one of the questions he asked me, and I, I will share this. One of the questions he asked me is, you know, Matthew, he's like, I love you, man, like a brother. But he's like, sometimes I feel like when I look at your brand and your and your portfolio, you can come across as the educator who's like, on his last leg, hopping from project to project. And he's like, I think you said something like, we need to change that because people don't know how hard you really work and you need to change that in your social media, in your brand. Um, and I think the conversation we had, it kind of helped me shift to say, okay, <laughs> Brandon kind of punched me in the gut a little bit, but that's what you see. That's the power of good friends though. Like when you have good friends that care about you, they pull you on the side and say, listen, um, this is what I see. And see, the reason why I listen to you is because, well, number one, I've always looked up to you. Um, I always felt like your career was always like a couple of feet ahead of mine. Um, and you operated in larger spaces than I was. So it's like, when something comes from the big homie, I'm like, okay, I need to listen to Brandon. Although I'm older than you, it doesn't matter. Like there's just some things, there's some things, man, that where it's like Brandon's the big homie with that. So I, I listened to you and you had a lot of value what you were saying and I needed to shift and I needed to do some different things. So fast forward today, I am a front end developer um, for an insurance benefits company. Um, I'm a front end developer slash like UX consultant for them. And, uh, we're building some internal products for how their team interacts with data on a front end uh, perspective. Um, and I love what I do because of that conversation that we had. It's like, bro, you need to shift. And now I'd like to take what I was doing as an educator at full sale and now start doing things like what you and I are doing and teach at a different level. Yeah. So yeah, I guess being on this podcast today, I got to thank Brandon because <laughs> I would have never done it if uh, you and I didn't have that blunt conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That was a rough one. Um, and I, 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 I don't think I'll, that's a conversation I'll never forget just because I had been meaning to have it for so long. Yeah. And I didn't know how to, uh, I didn't know how to present it. Um, I didn't know when the right time was. Um, like, it was funny. Like, there have been a couple of times where I'm like, I think today's the day. Yeah. And I'm at your house. And I'm like, nah, never mind. This isn't this isn't it yet. Yeah. You know, like, there's, there's been a couple of times it's, it's definitely been needed to have. But um, it's crazy, man. I, I love the, the relationship that we have is, like, um, it's very different from anyone that I've, I've ever had where it's, you know... 
it's it really is the the definition of iron sharpening iron. Yes. Um, and it's just different, you know, because we understand the industry that we're in. Mm-hmm. We under we understand what it is that we do, how we do it, uh, the the effort and the you know the the passion it takes to get it done. Yeah. Um, you know where others. You know, they may understand what we do, but they will never understand the level of, yeah. you know, um, work ethic it takes to absolutely get some of this stuff out the door. Yeah. So it's just cool to have somebody that you don't have to be, you don't have to constantly be explaining, you know, what it is that you do and how you do it and how stressful it is. Like yeah. you just, you just know, you get it. Oh yeah. Um, you get it. So now you coming into this new role. Oh man. I can't wait to hear the stories, the, 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 the stressful stories, the crappy days. I can't wait. I can't wait, man, because I know I'm not going to be alone. I'm, no, you're going to be man. like, yeah, man, today was a crappy day. Here's why. And I'm going to be like, yeah, yeah, man, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. I've been yeah. there. Yeah, I, uh, I really appreciated the conversation we had because it allowed me to look at myself in a different way. You know, a lot of times we I've, – I've heard students say this. I blame this school. I blame that school. Mm. It's this school's fault. Um, if I had gone to this school, then this could have happened better for me. If I only had done this. or And I've had those kind of self-pity conversations too. But at the end of the day, what I encourage creatives, especially young creatives our age or younger, or even if they're older and they're stuck in a certain pattern too, at some point, one has to sit down and take responsibility for their own career. And really have an honest assessment of where you've been, what are you doing now, how happier you are, and where you want to be. I decided to rent an Airbnb for three days in Orlando. Stick myself in the room because I rented a room from an Airbnb. I put myself in that room for three days. Um, and And for people who are not super religious, I get it. But I just have to share my personal faith. I was like, God, don't put me... In a position where I can choose to leave this room and not leave here a better person and and a new person growing into something different. With all respect to every educator that's listening to this and even my former co-workers at Full Sail, I had gotten to a place I felt alone again, like that time at uh, School of Visual Arts. And I felt like everything that was going on in my head in my heart was saying, you got to get out of here. Not because Full Sail was doing anything wrong or my coworker had an issue with me or I didn't like the way my boss was treating me. No, no, no. I had it golden at Full Sail. I had great rapport with everyone. I loved my boss. I loved what I did. I didn't hate my job, but I wasn't happy with myself and what I had become. I'd become complacent and comfortable. And your conversation pushed me to a place where I was like, no, you're going to isolate yourself in this room. You're going to journal. You're going to ask tough questions. You're going to pray and you're going to spend some time with yourself. And when I left that room, I decided to leave the education industry the way I had been working in it. I decided to leave the design industry in the way I had been working in it. Now, that's not to say that at, in, in my heart, I've left the design industry, but I need to start spending time with Matthew to find out what am I really called to do? What yeah. am I really called to design? Um, and it goes back to what I was saying in the beginning, where I think my real passion, the, the UX UI is just the beginning mm-hmm. because it's a springboard to where I came from in the digital arts world. 
But I think my long-term passion is I'll be designing products and services for people. It's it's a passion that I have. So yeah, thank you, Brandon, for that no conversation problem, because it just it was a punch in the face. Like yeah. basically, you were saying, bro, you're getting comfortable. Like yeah. you're not growing. You're stagnant. You're you you're not you're not doing anything different with your brand. You're not telling people about who you are. And you you expect to just come to Atlanta and get employed? Like, bro, it doesn't work that way. You, <laughs> you gotta you gotta be part of the community. You gotta tell people your story. And yeah. I think, you know, sometimes you need those hard conversations from your friends. Yeah, yeah. What I've learned about being a creative professional so far, and for me, it's like I, I consider it the largest challenge for anyone yeah. in our industry, or or not even in our industry, just a creative and within their own industry as well, um, is that you you will always have to shift. Yeah. Like it's, it sucks because it means that you, 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 we talked about this. Like you always have to be, you're constantly reinventing yourself Mm -hmm. over and over and over to meet the needs of like what you're seeing. Yeah. You know, that people want now, you know, it's like supply and demand. It's all right. Well, this is where people are going. Yeah. Um, how can I, maybe, maybe it's not a full rebrand, but like, how can I tailor myself to meet the needs of those people there? Like that, those are the people I want, right? Like that's my target audience. How can I meet the needs of those people and, and start to kind of, uh, shift my focus there instead yeah. of the man. You're a hundred percent correct. It's so hard. Bro, you are 100%, <laughs> like what you're saying right now. It's difficult because like yeah. there's it's it, and what I'm realizing is that you, you can't have both target audiences. No, you can't. Like it's like you can't have A and B. If if B is is requiring more, but A let's say B is requiring more. Uh, I don't know more of an experience from you, or, or more. Uh, uh, they they kind of understand understand trends better, or maybe mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm trying to find the right word for what I'm saying. But like, listen, okay, so B, they're looking for a certain type of look, right? A certain type of aesthetic. Or A, maybe they're not, but they'll pay you. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so it's like A, I know I'm going to get money from this target audience here. Mm-hmm. But B, I know if I start going in this trajectory, I'm going to at least get to where I want to be, where A is just going to keep me stagnant, but I'll get money. <sighs> Absolutely. <You know? laughs> so it's yeah. like, you really have to choose. It's like, okay, do yeah. you, do you want to stay stagnant with mm-hmm. money? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to take this risk and try to create your own lane within this new target audience yep. that, you know, maybe they're really starting to understand aesthetic more than A, yep. you know, and, and maybe you'll have to like really carve out some negotiation there because you don't even understand like, you know, you don't even understand what what type of money B has, yeah. you know what I mean? But you always know A, A got money. Man, you preaching you know? gospel. Right <laughs> Brandon, you are preaching gospel So it's, right it's, now. it's difficult because you're always like, at this crossroads, like your whole career, like yeah. you're just trying to figure out like, all right, like I can stay right here. Like my thing was, uh, churches and, and ministries and things like yeah. that. Like, like that's easy for me. I've had a lot of success and I've had a lot of failure in that alone. Yeah. You know, but I know if I stay there, I'll always make money. Mm-hmm. Because it's an understanding of what that industry needs. Correct. And how I can meet their needs. Mm-hmm. But like, if, you know, B, you know, I'm like, well, I really want to get more editorial. 
and I really want to focus more on like, uh, you know, kind of going outside, color, coloring outside the lines. Like I want to be a little bit more free, like yeah. a little bit more artistic and, or try to find clients that, um, you know, they, they're not trying to understand trends. They already understand them. They're looking for somebody that's going to implement those trends in their brand. Yep. I know nothing about those people. Yep. So I need to figure out like, if that's the route I want to go, Yep. I can't be like, well, everything I learned working with churches is just going to work for these guys over no. here because yeah. I have the experience. Like, that's not how that works. You have to shift. Yeah. And it's hard. Because yep. it takes it takes new research, it takes new <laughs> experimentation, it takes new like you have to change your mindset. Like That's right. everything has to change for you, even your own look. Yep. You know, like what I'm doing now, like I'm, what I've been doing on Instagram, like yep. like everything has to shift. Yep. You know, like it's it's one thing to be like, okay, well, I I don't know. Oh, I want to be a influ. I want. I hate the word influencer. I want to be an influential person. Yeah. You know. Uh, or I just want to put some design stuff up, you know, like, yeah. which one do you want to be? You, you, you got to choose. You have to. You got to choose. Yeah, you have. Absolutely. Um, our conversation made me do two things. It, it forced me to go back to my childhood of what was always important to me. I have always been one of those guys. I'm just different. My, my wife will tell you uh, I'm just different. I'm the guy. Well, case in point, um, you came over recently to dinner, and uh, when you came by, table was set. Yep. I ironed the mats that the food, the plate would be on. The napkins were ironed. Yep, they were placed inside of the napkin ring and put, you know, in a nice way. Uh, water goblets were out. Wine glasses were out. Everything was put together okay why i share that is because what i've realized in those three days in that airbnb room i am really passionate about the way people experience things but i could never like put a language towards it like i'm just like oh i just like keeping the house neat no 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 no. it's not about the house Mm -hmm. the house is a conduit to let the passion out but deep down inside I'm always looking at the little details of how people experience things, particularly in the world of like high-end luxury and clean minimalism, contemporary brand experiences. I, I always go to that by default. I had to really spend some time to say, you know what? Brandon's right. You need to pick something and start building towards that. Okay, maybe you may not get that customer experience job right away. Maybe you might not get that real, real ideal dream UX job right away. But let's start working towards building a narrative in your brand that says you're an experienced designer. You're an experienced consultant. Take away all the projects out of your portfolio that don't reflect that. Yeah. Put it on Behance. Maybe if you want to put everything on Behance, that's fine. Yeah. In your personal portfolio, it could be four projects, <laughs> but they need to only talk about experienced design in brick and mortar, uh, mobile, web, whatever you choose, but it needs to be about experience design. That was the best advice you gave yeah. me because it helped me to tap into my core of what I really want to do. It gave me so much clarity. And what, in a matter of two, three weeks after two, we, had three that, weeks. we had that conversation, I got a job offer. Yeah. It's crazy you say that because 
I what I'm learning about myself is that you you ever ask yourself why you do certain things that you do, mm-hmm. like why you say certain things that you say. And for me, I I realize I only give advice on things that I've only experienced myself. Um, I I know what it's like to shift when you don't want to, mm-hmm. because you know you just you just want to be stuck where you are because you you're comfortable here. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I know what that feels like and I know what it feels like even like I'm 27 years old. Yeah. But I know what it feels like to even be, you know, left behind, mm. you know, at 27, <laughs> like you're looking at your work and you're, you know, you're looking at everyone else's and you're like, something's something doesn't look right. Something's not adding up. The presentation doesn't look as good as everyone else's. Um, the, the work doesn't look as good as everyone else's. And you're kind of looking at everyone else. Um, or you're, you're looking at yourself like you're not doing enough. Mm. Um, you need to figure something out. Or else, even before you get started, you're going to be left behind. Mm. Um so that was like my that was always my biggest fear. Even when I used to live in Orlando, um, what five five years ago, like that was my biggest fear. Is like, okay, how can I like, how do I look like I'm with the rest of the other designers that yeah. they have their you know their stuff together? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I look like I don't just do work for churches? Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, because church work, they, it all looks the same. And <laughs> <laughs> I've done some, some stuff for some church churches. Work, so it I, all yeah. looks the same, you yeah, know. So yeah, like you're yeah. you're super proud of your portfolio, and then you got a a buddy. My my, my uh, I had a friend. Uh, his name was Isaiah Hill. I'll never forget this man. Yeah. I, I met this guy on uh, I think I met him on Instagram, and he did a site. He was working at a record label here. And uh, he did this site for this artist, and I was like, "Yo, this site is crazy! Like, it's it's amazing, it's beautiful, and all this stuff." And I found him, and uh, people think I'm weird because my my method of networking is a little off. I find people, I don't let people find me. Yeah. So like, you're intentional. On, yeah. If I'm on a site and I'm like, "Yo, who designed this?" Mm-hmm. I'm going to hunt you down. Yeah. And I'm like, "Yo, your work is great. I would love to talk to you about it." Like, just you know, that's that's what I did. And uh, I remember looking through his portfolio and he was in Atlanta and you could just like sense that like, yeah, this guy's work is good, but his presentation, how he presents himself, Mm. it looks better than the work that he's presenting. And in a way, psychologically, it does something for people like you can have you can have good work, but the way you present it it will somehow make that yeah. work look even better. Yep. Because if you have a crappy presentation, but good work, yeah, it's not the same. Nope. Like you'll kind of, you'll be like, Oh, the work is good, but it's, it, it could be better. Mm-hmm. But the work may be really good. It's just the presentation. And I remember looking at this guy and I was just like, yeah, I got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> like I need, like I am so behind <laughs> and I need to figure out what it is I'm doing wrong. And it took, it took about a year yeah. to like really get down to like, Okay, here's here are the problem, you know, areas that you know you need to work on mm-hmm. um, presenting yourself. So, yeah, man, that's always been. I know what it's like to shift. 
yeah over and over it and was over it was a tough process <laughs> emotionally brandon um but i just dude I, man you know just sometimes you just gotta put your friends in triage like yeah. you know, if i don't save this they're gonna die like, yeah yeah and i just felt like you put my career in triage so we could resurrect it i had gotten so the thing about it is brandon i had gotten so comfortable with being a design educator and an independent design consultant mm. that I just I got comfortable with that dual life yeah I got so good at teaching I could spin that plate with my eyes closed and never drop a plate and break it and then I'm like yeah so I can teach and I can do my design work for my my clients consult with them do my design work for my for the websites and all that stuff and then I can come here and teach and I just had it comfortable But I think our conversation challenged me to say, okay, but is what you're doing right now in a trajectory to where you want to be? And as much as you're holding root to your CD cover you did (laughs) back then or your outdoor graphics you did or your brochure, like, that's great, Matthew. But is this helping you get to where you need to be? And that question allowed me to really spend time to say, no, yeah. What am I? Who am I? Like literally, I, I, I had my journal and I started writing questions. Who am I? What do I love to do? What are my favorite brands? Like I even started discovering my personality through the brands that I support. Mm. Um, so I have always been a lover of certain types of brands that represent a certain type of personality and they serve a type a certain type of customer. I think Growing up around my mom and my grandmother, my dad too, but I would say my grandmother, my grandfather, and my mom, because that's primarily where I got that from. I always grew up around the appreciation of fine things, but it does not have a correlation with people's socioeconomic status. So let me explain. This is not a shade to anybody listening to this, but in America, typically what you find is if a person says, I have a Ralph Lauren suit, Oh, they got money. (laughs) But I was raised that it's important to pursue culture, not money. Mm. So I never looked at like Tom Ford, Gucci, Ferragamo. These are some of the brands that I love. Porsche, Mercedes, Lamborghini. There's somebody listening to this right now. This guy's rich. No, no, like, no, I'm not. It's just, well, I'm rich at heart, but I don't have a hundred million dollars in my bank account to, to buy these things. But it's just. I have a a sense of appreciation for kind of a fine craftsmanship, a finer taste the way things are built. So there's certain brands that I've just always identified with. So when we had that conversation and I'm just like, I need to really spend some time with myself. Okay, why do I like always going to Ralph Lauren's store? Like, what's this thing I have with Mercedes? Why do I like Porsche? Why, why, what's this obsession I have with Tom Ford? Where's this coming from? Because if I kept listening to people outside of myself, I would have kept believing that I'm a materialistic person or I would have kept believing that, oh, I'm so shallow because people have told me that like you're such a shallow person. That's all you talk about. But it's not that. It's just I think my passion with those brands is they just really care about the way that something is built for people to experience it. And it took you having that conversation with me to spend time with myself to dig deeper, to see where's that, where does that little glimmer in my eye come from? Where's that, my, why do I tear up when I go to the Mercedes-Benz dealership? 
what's happening inside of me on a psychological level. And what I realize is I have a passion to build certain type of experiences for people. I love being around product culture or brand culture where there is a more of a intention that is very deep and focused to make sure are we using the best materials? Um, are, are we taking time in our process? Okay, Rolls Royce only builds a certain amount of cars a year, but guess what? That's a Rolls Royce. Yeah. Not to throw shade at Toyota or Nissan, it's just that's a different kind of customer. Mm-hmm. My passion has always been the finer. You know, you grew up around a mother that, you know, is taking you to the MoMA and the Guggenheim Museum at age 12. You know, your neurological system has been exposed to all of this finer. Just mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, everything's always finer. You know, my mom had this model where it's like, I'd rather you buy less of something and have better quality than have a whole bunch of stuff of nothing. And that has always infused my passion for experience design. Now, where this passion takes me, Brandon, um, I'm curious to see where it takes me. But I just want to work in those spaces, man. Like, yeah. imagine, Brandon, like we're designing spoons and flatware and glassware. You see some of the stuff like Virgil is doing? Mm-hmm. Like he has a button on one of his shirts where it's it's shaped like a V and an L. <laughs> like who in their right mind was thinking about when the thread goes through each hole in the button, can you give me an outline of two letters? Right. Like that's like that's cool stuff, man. Like, <laughs> like I want to do those types of things. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I just I really appreciate our conversation. It really inspired me to go deep and really ask myself, like, why is it I like going to Home Goods? Why do I like William Sonoma? Why do I like Tom Ford? Why do I like Porsche? What's happening? Don't be outside of. Oh, that's those are just expensive products. No, 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 no. Like, I really wanted to spend time discovering where that is coming from. A lot of that comes from my childhood and just my mother especially my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, just always exposing me to how things are built, mm-hmm. the history of this fashion style, or this is the type of fabric you use to create this type of look. And my mom always designing the table a certain way. Like, you know, when guests come over, you design it like this. And I'm like, but why? Because you want them to feel a certain way. It was never, well, buy this, Matthew, because it makes you look rich. Like, my yeah. mom never talked to me that way. So... I, I just love experiences. I know I'm ranting a lot. <laughs> no, you're good. But I just love, I love nice experiences when people take time to, to think about how other people should feel using a product and a service. And I think that's missing in a lot of companies. Yeah. You know, the people journey map, like how are people going to feel being onboarded at this company? Or when someone walks into my store, how should they feel? You know, there's this big discussion in retail right now where everyone's like, Oh, no one wants to go to the stores anymore. Like people shopping in brick and mortar is down. I don't believe that. I believe, yes, that some of that data is true, but I also believe that not enough people are being thoughtful. Yeah. Right? Because here in Atlanta, look how many people leave their house to drive to go to Ponce. Right? That's Very a true. brick and mortar establishment with all these mini businesses inside of it. So there's something that Ponce has created on an emotional level and a psychological level that's driving customers to go there. And keep coming. And keep coming. Knowing that they, it, it, nothing's changed. Yeah. So I think what, what is it in their customer experience that they've built for a certain type of audience that they just appreciate it? I think that's, I just, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life, man. Right now it's UX and UI. Yeah. But next year it could be product designer. Yeah. It could be something else, customer experience designer. But I just think 
as designers, whatever lane you choose, whether it's graphic design, whatever it is, fashion design, uh, product designer, we are people working with people to design things for people. And then we should always keep our, our heads focused on that. I know I said a lot there. No, that was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, um, so your wife's a chef. Yeah, man. She's the other experience. <laughs> I wasn't going to leave that out. <laughs> uh, like, what does that look like in terms of experiences now? Because we were just talking about how you create experiences, but yeah. with you having such a, a passion for creating experiences, your wife also, you know, within her food, yes. like what type of, what does that look like on a day to day basis? I think one of the things that I learned from Simone, uh, Chef Simone, um, is people love eating food that connects them to great memories. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing I've learned from Simone. People don't want food pushed onto them. Um, people want food that they can have conversation around. The biggest thing people always tell Simone, this tastes so good. This reminds me of my grandmother. This is awesome. This reminds me of something my dad used to make when we were little. That's the unifying principle throughout everything Simone does is how can I create food with, with, with a certain type of flavor that will excite the taste but to bring back thought and memory. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, I think, what Simone does well. That's what the experiences have been for me uh, that I see Simone build consistently is people saying, wow, this reminds me of my grandmother. This is so good. Um, On a plating end, um, Simone has always been about like elegance and presentation. It's important to her at home in our own daily life. We don't eat like that every day on China every day. But we, we, yeah, like we're not, I'm not pulling out like Downton Abbey, like every day in the house. Like <laughs> we're not doing that, but we try at least two to three times a week, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, in the house to have a nice dining experience where we take out the stuff and really do it up. So in our house, yeah, we believe in experiences, but we also believe in comfortable experiences too. Sometimes time doesn't allow you to do certain things. You might be tired or, you know, you just pull out the disposable, but Best believe someone's not getting no average disposable. It's going to be like some nice high-end disposable plates. (laughs) But she always takes time to plate things and and put things together really nicely um, at home. And it's always a good experience with her, you know. I mean, you can go online and read the reviews. Forget about what I say. Like, (laughs) you go on Facebook and... You know, you you, you go on uh, Facebook, you know, the knot, the wedding wire, you know. People have had some good experiences with Simone. She cares about the way people experience food. And I, I appreciate her for that. Yeah. Has her level of passion in creating experience uh, elevated your design experience? So hear this. Ooh, this is a loaded question. Okay. I actually had an increased passion to become an experienced designer since marrying my wife. Mm. So I'll deviate for a little bit. So when my when I first married my wife, I didn't want to be involved in what she was doing because I figured, well, I'm a designer, you're a chef. I don't want to be in your world because all I saw was I got to be cooking and I got to be doing work that I don't want to do. I want to do what I want to do. But her business hit a place where it grew so much where I had to get involved. So what I found was my design sense kicked in in everything we were going through. 
I found that when she designed her invoices, the typography wasn't structured enough. (laughs) You know, or or I always found like different processes to improve or, well, you know, someone, I don't like that process. Let's fix that process so the customer can go from A, B, C, D smoothly. Um, What does the onboarding process look like when we hire people? Like these are things that we, her and I had never talked about before, Mm -hmm. but I just found that instinct in me to get involved more and more and more and more what she was doing. So where we designed like the customer experience, like when people come in for a tasting, what does that look like? So her and I designed that together. Um, and I started to use that passion more and more to a point where I was like, man, you know, maybe I need to shift and get into this thing and really commit. So, yeah, believe it or not, design can be used in a lot of different ways, not just um, like a logo or brochure or editorial piece. But now we have this term that's been invented. It's not really a term that's been invented. Um, Don Norman, who is is an amazing author, he wrote a book called The Design of Everyday Things. He is kind of crowned as like the godfather of design thinking. But basically, where we are as creatives today, we have an opportunity to design solutions for business people that would have never allowed us in the room. And I know I've kind of jumped a little bit, but I'm using wishful concepts as an example. I would say what I learned working with Simone is that it actually helped me be a better designer because now I was coming away from software and looking at people's problems internally, not, well, I got to design a logo at this size so it can be on this kind of plexiglass. Like, no, it's, it was, we can't find the plates when we load up the van. Um, can we create a process where Matthew, you don't have to load the van anymore. Can you videotape yourself packing the equipment and send it to us and design a process that makes it easier to pack for an event? Those are the emails I was getting constantly working with Simone. And I was able to take my design thinking to solve a problem for a person. Mm -hmm. And I noticed the moment I came on board with Simone, not only did her revenue go up, but the problems within the company were reducing month by month. So how does that translate to someone listening? We as designers have a really powerful opportunity right now. Home Depot's doing it. Mercedes-Benz is doing it. I just These are the companies I'm rattling off because I know they're doing it. And I'm sure there's a, a many others. Delta is doing it. C-suite execs, those are the CEO, CFO, CMO, the the C-suite execs are realizing that the marketing department can't help them anymore. Mm. The analysts can't help them anymore to solve their biggest problems. I think they've realized that designers are needed. That's why like a good book I would recommend anybody check out if they're a designer and they're kind of stagnant in their industry right now and they want to know how they can shift forward. Um, the design of everyday things by Don Norman. It has like a yellow cover on it with like an awkward design teapot, like for those that are looking on Amazon for it. That book will revolutionize the way a traditional designer believes that their talent can no longer be used in the industry. It's not true. A lot of business people need us, Brandon, to solve their business problems. They want to, they want us to take the same mentality we have designing posters and apps and all of that stuff, but apply it to a business problem. This is where it's at right now. This comes down to the shifting. A lot of designers have an opportunity to really shift the way products and services are designed. So it's more thoughtful, 
not calculated from the marketing department. No shade to people who are right. in marketing. It's just <laughs> the reality is we have an approach on things that are no, not so like, well, the data says this since 1995. So that doesn't, doesn't mean we just keep going in that direction because the data says it. What does the data say now? What are people saying out of their own mouths that people want? Then let's design that for them. Hmm. Yeah, man. Like I'm super passionate about that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand, man. I just, I just love that stuff. But it came from working with Simone, I think. Yeah. Being exposed to the culinary world every day, watching us do three, two, three hundred guest count weddings and corporate events, and really watching experiences live. Like I designed that process. Wow, it worked. Like. Wow, I see less complaining happening because I designed that process. Like, wow. That's what opened up my eye to say, yeah, I think you need to focus on this. Working with her. I understand. Yeah, one of the things I like about um, watching Chef Simone work, um, I just love watching her create Mm -hmm. in her element. You know, because there's always like this like... Like there's always the journey of experimentation between creative professionals where every creative professional hits this space where it's just like (laughs) I'm in my bag. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) like, (laughs) like, like, like if you just watch her, it's like whatever she's doing at this like specific moment, she is mastering that. Like Mm -hmm. she's. She or she already has, and it's just like I already know what I need to do. I know what it's going to taste like before it's even done. Yeah, you know, um, I think every creative goes through that. Like mm-hmm. when you're designing a logo, um, if if I'm in a consultation with somebody, I'm already designing the logo in my in my mind, mm-hmm. and I'm already like, mm, that's variation one. That's variation two. <laughs> that's variation three. I'll figure out four in the midst of those three. Yeah. Right. And you can kind of see her do the same thing. Yes. Like in the kitchen. It's yeah. really. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's literally, it's watching. It's like performance art. Yes. It's really interesting. Like yes. just to kind of like watch her yes. like yes. taste spices. Yeah. To see what should go and where. Yeah. Or, or already know what spices should go into places before she's even done it. Yeah. It's 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 almost like second nature. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of like my favorite things about like us as just creatives is yeah. like watching not like like the beginning aspect of creating, it's always kinda like a little flimsy. Yeah. You know, like you're maybe sketching some things out as a designer. Yep. Or like as a chef, you're like, okay, well I think maybe maybe I want to make this. Like you're you're still kinda like trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But there's like this spot it's like this sweet spot for yeah. every creative. Yeah. Where it's just like, yeah. Yeah. I'm in it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I wanna talk about that for a while because um I think what I've found in the classroom is, and I'm sure not every classroom in America, but what I've found, particularly in the classroom that I was operating in at Full Sail, I find a lot of creatives today um, have a disdain for the process. Yeah. And they want to go from intake of conversation with the client or the teacher to final execution. Yeah. Like in that hour, like they don't want to do the process. And it, it is almost in a way, uh, 
a, a kind of a, a temperature of what's going on in society in a lot of ways where we have lost respect for the process of things. Everyone wants to rush to their millions. They want to rush to be, be someone's friend without developing a process of building that friendship. People want to rush to buy a house, rush to do this, rush to be an entrepreneur. And, and, and people are wondering why things don't have staying power is because people are rushing the process. And, and sometimes I think creatives need to be reminded the importance of the process. And I get it. You know, there's some things where it's like, hey, a client may call you and say, I need a website, but I need it like in a week. Do you think you can help me with that? And a lot of times those types of projects, if you become a slave to that type of client, you get really good at delivering cost based saving solutions. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I made profit. Right. I, I, I was able to knock that side out in a week. But here's the thing. What hurt me? Much of my career and my financial success was built around those four or five day turnarounds. And then now that I'm now in a role at a huge company where they want the process, yep. I got to now ask myself, ooh, I got to unlearn a lot of bad habits. Because for a long time, it's been, can, I get, can you get this done in four days? I'm sure the agency you work at, there's process that you weren't using maybe six, seven years ago that now that you were there as of the past couple of years, you're like, they want process for certain things. Yeah. Some things they do want turned around quickly, but there's a process. Um, I want to encourage more creatives to go through pre-production, journaling, um, self-development, reading books, going to seminars, um, building a little support group of, of creatives around them to help each other out in the process because all of us are in a process, whether we're learning about finances, personal development, emotional intelligence, communication skills, how to use Illustrator better, um, uh, how to improve my production workflow. We're all learning something. And I think if we stop our individual process for the sake of meeting the end result so we can look cool in front of everyone and say, I, I beat you, I got there first, we're only hurting ourselves. Yeah. Slow and steady and efficient and have staying power is much more important than I got there fast and then you could only last there two years. Process is a hard thing to learn. It's hard and becomes challenging to not cut the corners. The issue with us is that, like you said, we're always looking at the process and saying like, okay, here's steps one through five. How can I bypass two? Mm -hmm. Like That's a challenge. How can yeah. I bypass two and four? Yeah. You know, and just... You know, I just want to get straight to five because yeah. that's where the money is. Yeah. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on this because, you know, I got more money to make, or, yeah. you know, and then, and that's another problem I was in as well. That's part of the reason why I had to shift. Like you're, you're doing the work for the money. You're burning yourself out because you're skipping processes mm -hmm. and your clients are looking at that like, oh my God, like, you know, he's so quick. But what they don't know is that you're skipping things out on purpose yeah. so that you can be quick. Like no one knows, no one really knows how you're doing things the way you're doing them. They just like the fact that they get it way before their deadline. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure if people were to look at the process that you're taking or the lack of process that you're taking, mm -hmm. um, it would be a little it would kind of be like, so why I like what you did for me, but why didn't you give me the totality of 
what I should have received. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're a designer that's going through processes, why did you skip out on certain steps for me? Because you need money quicker. Mm-hmm. That be get that, that becomes really scary because yep. you're only working for the dollar. You're not working yep. for the love of the the, the the passion of what you're doing yep. or the client. You're not even working for the client. You're yep. literally working to get their money. Correct. Um, I've been there. Yep. And it's a very scary situation because you do get a lot of clients because you're you're skipping out on things. Yeah. But you're working yourself harder. Yeah. You know because you know you're 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 literally working for. I'm gonna backtrack. I I could never understand how designers could be like I'm taking five projects this month and when I'm done. You know, whoever wants to come in, you know, as a client has to be booked for the next month. And I was like, yo, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you just shut your services off after a certain amount of clients? It's because they have a process and they don't cut the corners. Correct. And they make sure that the the client that they have uh, is appreciative of the process that they're providing in order to give them more money. Does that make sense? It a hundred percent. Okay, so hundred percent, Brian. I could never figure that out. Even to this day, like it's still a challenge. Yeah. Like I, I still have you know friends on Instagram, and they're yeah. like, "Oh man, we're sure." You know, if you're interested, you know, in our yeah. services next month, and yep. I'm like, "That's crazy." Yeah. Because they're offering premium services for right. select clients, exactly. Versus mass market. There's there are people they build their business model in different ways. First, to backtrack. You got to put yourself in the position to say no. Yeah. And not everybody can do that because not everybody has that financial base. Some people would argue that's, well, it's not about money, Matthew. If you set your intention on day one, that's what you'll get. And that's true for some people. But not everybody, when they first start their business, can say no for 10 projects until the 15th one comes and they go, yeah. Unless you got a situation or a spouse or you're married or there is something that it's like, well, I just got money coming in so I could afford to keep saying no. Um, but to fast track, yeah, we are in a culture of now, now. And I oftentimes ask myself, how does someone like me with this kind of traditional mindset survive in a world where now is more important? And I get it. There are times in life where, look, man, you want to get this money? Hey, this client needs it. It's up to us as designers to know what in the process we can skip without compromising the final product. But the challenge and the the sadness in that is that what happens is people do not appreciate what is being built. Like if you look, I'm going to go back in time. If you look prior to the industrial age, people respected their shoes, their shirt, their sweater because we didn't come. We weren't living in that time of mass production. Once you got into an age of industrial where people could produce many things and drive the cost all the way down, then shoes, leather shoes became an average thing. It, 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 when something stops being limited, it's like everybody has that. Yeah. So what happens is nobody respects it. When you got to the age of the 70s and the 80s, we got into fast fashion where you could go and get a, a, a you know a shirt for cheap. People don't appreciate the process of things because we can know we can just get another one. 
sometimes I nerd out on, man, you know how many hours like Mercedes built that engine and like nobody cares. Like, yeah. <laughs> just give me the keys, dude. Like, I just want to drive this S550. Nobody got time to know how <laughs> it was made. But there's something honorable in taking time to find out how was this made so you respect it. And I think that's, I think there's some people in our culture today that are like that. But I think there's a huge thing where it's like, how long can this, can you get this to me? And can you save me money doing it? Right. So our brains are not no longer wired to process of craftsmanship and picking the best materials. And I think we treat our food that way, our healthcare that way, uh, our education system that way, even the way we build homes. It's yeah. like, we need to get this up. And I think we got to find a way of, as a society where, where we do something, we, we, yes, we need it, but we also want to start caring about what it is that we're building. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it, for me, it goes back to what we were talking about before, where it's just like shifting. You know, I'm, I'm used to A, yeah. where the money is. Yeah. I know that I'm going to work very long, you know, hours. You know, it's going to be like, like you said, hey, can we get this in four days? Mm -hmm. But I know that's where the money is, mm -hmm. you know, where that shift takes place. So B, where it's just like these are the people that understand the process yep. that, that need a craftsman, you know, yep. um, you know, where it may take four weeks yeah, for a logo. Yeah. You know, whereas you're not used to that. You're yep. used to like ah, three <laughs> days, you know, because I need the money and I know they're going to, you know. Yeah. But two fifty, cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah, like it's all right, great, great. Two hundred fifty dollars, cool. Uh, the positive one twenty five yeah. is yeah. all I yeah. need. That's all we need. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like yeah. it's it's super easy to get stuck in that. Yeah, you know, and 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 I think I was there for a long time, Brandon, and uh, I had to get to a place where I had to make a decision to put myself in that position to start saying no. I had a personal responsibility to make sure I can put myself in a position to start saying no. Whatever that meant that I had to do in my own life, whether it's financial stability, I had to start putting myself in a position to say no. Because what I was offering people, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be rushing that process. It does a disservice and a dishonor to those that are also providing that process. And, um, and I get it. I'm not for everyone. It's just like I'm sure for you, you're not for everyone. Um, but during that process of really discovering who I was, the three days in that Airbnb room, I had to start taking a stance on what I believe and what I want my career to be, what kind of clients I want to work for, what kind of companies do I want to be employed by, and really set that intention clear. Yeah. Um, what kind of brand do I want to build? What does my narrative uh, should be when I, when I write my blogs. Um, maybe I need to stop writing blogs about five things you need to do if you have a WordPress website. Like, oh, the list. Like, the list you know, blog posts. 15 <laughs> things to do to shift your brand now. Like, like, come on, man. Four things your website needs in 2019. <laughs> Six plugins you got to install today. Those are all a ploy. Like, like, They're all a ploy. Come on, man. Like, I get it. Like, let me not crochet. Like, I get it. There's a need for that brand. Yeah. There is. But again, you made me think about, okay, what are you doing different? Go do a product review. I remember we talked about this. Go rent like a Porsche on Toro. Yeah. And, uh, Drive it, review it. Yeah. 
bored yeah. about it. Yeah. That's different. As someone who's coming from the graphic design, like and now you're moving into this UX, UI, and the customer experience space, and now you're blogging about the new Porsche GT3 RS. It's like nobody's doing that. Like, right. As a designer, maybe as an, a gearhead or like somebody in the automotive industry before, a designer to get behind the wheel of that for a day and review it from a design perspective and how that car makes you feel as a designer. Oh man, like like nobody's doing that. You know? So yeah, all of that came from your conversation with me. Yeah. Yeah. How much is too much for you? So I'm, I'm, so that was, that was kind of like a, that was for me, that was a loaded question. Even as it came out of my mouth. Let me, let me, let me unwrap that. So what I've realized this year, a lot of life things going on, um, a lot of like major uh, shifts in, in lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've realized is that um, sometimes we try to take on so much yes. to distract ourselves from what's happening this is in a life. Great topic, Brandon. <laughs> oh, so, so I, I, I remember two, two, three years ago. Uh, I was like, by the end of the year, I want to develop five to seven different streams of income. Might as well just say, like, by the end of the year, Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure out how to slowly kill myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it it felt like. Yeah. Because, like, at the beginning of the year, you're like, oh, man, I'm going to get this done. Like, this is going to be great. I'm going to figure this out. And by December, not saying I'm going to have. Five to seven. I'm going to develop. Yeah. So by the beginning of next year, <laughs> like, it just comes into fruition, right? Yeah. From that, I burned out, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Obviously, I was going to burn out. I should have known day one as soon as I said it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've learned from that is that um, it's okay to take your time, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and that just because you have good ideas uh, that it doesn't mean that you have to do them. And I learned this from uh, this guy, his name is Suresh, um, here in Atlanta. Um, he told me this a while back, and it just started hitting me maybe like a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And he just let me know, like, hey, like, you're creative. You're always going to have good ideas. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're all yours. That doesn't mean you that. have to always do every idea mm-hmm. that comes into your brain. Because if you did, you would kill yourself. Correct. Like, I'm never not going to have an idea. Mm-hmm. You're never, you're always going to have an of idea. Of course. But we think that every single thing that we have is for us. Yeah. Whereas most, sometimes, maybe it's something like, maybe it's for you. You know, yeah. maybe it's an idea that I have. And I'm like, yo, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. But it's for Matt. It's not for me. Correct. You know what I mean? And I think what happens is for me, what did happen is I got very greedy Mm. and I needed something to distract me away from the problems in my life. Yeah. I've been there. Like I needed entrepreneurship and design to give me some fulfillment Mm -hmm. that I wasn't getting in my own life. Yeah. So... That's why I asked, like, for you, how much is too much? Because now, whereas last year I was like, hmm. oh, my God, I want to do design-wise, and, and I want to work at my job, and I want to 
you know, do this podcast and I want to do this, this, this cornerstone digital thing. And I want to do plot twists. Yeah, we've had some conversations you know? about that. <laughs> like all of these things you like, you, you want to do all of these and you're, you're thinking, I want to do these because I'm so passionate and yeah. oh my God, I just, I love what I do. It's really not the, the when you get deeper into why you want to do so much, there's yeah. always something. Yeah. There's always a reason. So mm. I'm curious to see for you, like, is there, did you ever hit a point? Not just when you were doing too much, but you realized that the too much that you were doing was for a deeper reason than just being passionate. So for me, um, there was a point in my life from 2012 to 2015 where I was an educator at Full Sail, a designer running a catering company and managing the sales, the bookkeeping and the day-to-day operations. On average, I was getting about four to five hours of sleep a day, and I was working Monday to Sunday for four years. Um, that resulted in two separations from my, from my wife. This is like really personal things I'm sharing, but my wife and I were separated twice. Um, an intense amount of stress in our marriage. Um, so yeah, I had money, right? I bought two nice cars, cash, a lot of awards and recognition, but that came at a price and that's what people don't see. Um, we live in a time today, especially on social media, where there is a huge push for a glamorizing of the word hustle mm. and entrepreneurship. F the boss, go do your own thing. Um, nobody should be the master of your future. And, and those all have valuable places in every individual's life. But what I will warn people of that either are entrepreneurs right now, and they know deep down inside, they haven't spent not even two hours with their spouse or their boyfriend or girlfriend. They haven't seen their mother in two months because they rather hustle than spend time with family. Here's what I'll warn them. When you start ignoring the signs of what your goals are doing to your health, your finances, your mental peace, your relationship with others, life will create situations for you to have no choice but to stop and listen to that. So I would never tell someone what is too much. Now, I'll share what was too much for me um, because I don't feel the ethical right to tell someone you're doing too much. What I will tell people is you have to make a decision on what you want in life. There are some people that are worth $100 million. The problem with that is they're not telling people what they gave up to get that. Right. There are people that have on their Instagram, they, they own six Lamborghinis, two Porsches, five pieces of property, and all they do is glamorizing the actions they took to get that. But what entrepreneurs are not doing on social media is telling you the two strokes they had, the yeah. fact that they couldn't go to their mother's funeral, the fact that they've been divorced five times, the fact they can't keep relationships, they're disrespectful to their friends and they're nasty to the people around them because they send them these short texts about busy, talk soon. And then you're mad that you're a millionaire and nobody wants to be your friend. That's what they're not posting on social media. That was my behavior. You know, people are saying, hey, Matt, what's up? Busy, talk soon. Oh, okay. So people are not important because your dreams are more important. And I get it. Some people say, but Matthew, I got to do what I got to do right now to achieve my goals. But just remember, when those goals fall, 
remember who's going to be there to help you when you're depressed is those friends you keep pushing away. Is that mother that's trying to have a lunch meeting with you, but you don't have time because you're trying to scale a business. I think life is all about proportion and balance. And for me personally, I had reached a place where I've had two stress-related injuries. I was at work one day and the whole right side of my body locked up. I've had pain in my chest where my whole chest just tightened up like I was having a heart attack. I've had situations where I fell asleep at the wheel and hit someone from the rear end. I could talk about it now because the statute of limitation is up. (laughs) But I got so tired that I hit someone from behind, right? Nobody talks about that because I was trying to scale my business. This big gut that I have is from overeating and eating at night because I don't have time. I have to work with my staff, right? I'm teaching. I'm doing this because I'm eating late. I'm eating McDonald's. I'm... I don't have time. My wife and I don't have time to take care of each other. This is the stuff that I would warn people of is is when you start creating a life where you're not your business ideas are so grand and they're so unplanned that you weren't realistically thinking about what it's going to take to manage that from a resources end, from an emotional resource end, a mental resource end, and a physical resource end. Like you as the leader, what is it going to take to build that idea? I had reached a place where my wife wasn't happy with me. We weren't happy with each other. So guess what? We cut down our business in half. Some people responded very negatively to that. Oh, Matthew and Simone, they're giving up. You know, oh, you guys are negative. You just don't believe in your dream. What they didn't see is that I think what a lot of people, they fall in love with what we represented. And, oh, you know, Matthew and Simone are a power couple and we're building all this business. But, but we weren't happy as a couple. Simone and I are happier now <laughs> doing less than when we had all that abundance. So I think you'll know when it's too much. And if you don't listen, God will make you listen. Well, if you're a religious person, God yeah. will make you listen. Yeah. Or if you're someone who says, well, I don't believe in that God crap. Well, something will happen in your life, either through your own doing internally or externally that will put a pressure and a force upon you to say, Ooh, I have to stop. And you don't have to be a religious person to see that as true. You talk to most people who are atheists and they've been through that too. Like you got to stop at some point you're seeing a psychological imbalance, even with someone like Elon Musk right now, you're seeing somewhat of a neurological imbalance. And if you're not wise enough to see that, then you're just caught up in the grandeur of his success. But I see something there yeah. that if he's not careful, he won't be able to enjoy his success. It's interesting. Um, people like Elon, Jeff. Yep. Jeff Bezos, man. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. You you never see the uh, you never see what's going on behind the scene behind no. doors. Like no. you never do. You just hear about the billions of dollars that yeah. are that are being made. Um, you know, you you never hear about those. You know, those issues uh, that are happening. So it does, you know, it, it kind of going back to, you know, romanticizing entrepreneurship, romanticizing um, just being a creative, you know, you it's not all that it's uh, said to be like people like uh, like Ty Lopez. You yeah, know, you, you, yeah. You watch these ads and these Look videos, and he's like, you I know, have three cars in my driveway. You know, I get, yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you want to know how I got these cars? Read my books in my bookcase. <laughs> yeah. I got a list on my website. Like it just, it's 
you didn't get these cars from your books. And I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, I completely understand, yep. you know, but it's, it's one of the thoughts that I had watching and I hate to talk about Ty Lopez, but it, it brought it up. Like when we were sitting there talking about like, you don't know what they're going through, you know, the, yeah. all the cars or whatever. Yeah. And I remember he was doing a video um, and he was walking through his house and I remember saying, like, where are the people? <laughs> like, there's no one in there. And maybe that was staged, right? But it for me, it brought up a it, it brought up an interesting topic yeah. to just think about. Like, man, is 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 material success worth it? Is it worth it? You look at people like J. Cole. Um, he gave up his Range Rover and gave, his Rolex. Yeah, man. And like much he, more. Yeah. He, you know, he is a completely different person than when he was when he signed on the Rock Nation. Yeah. Um, Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. You know, same same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, Twenty One Savage even like mm-hmm. you know stopped wearing chains and is now focused on like financial literacy. Like it's it's so it's it's becoming a trend. Yeah. To not be successful in in a material way. Correct. Uh, even though you may still have these material possessions, yeah. Like you're more focused on uh, growth and leadership yeah. and um, how we can help make a difference rather than you know check out like like check out my Roly. You know what I mean? It's bust. <laughs> check out my bust down Roly. <laughs> you know, like, I'm guilty. It's becoming like such a thing. Like you know, I I always remember when like. <laughs> People like. <laughs> oh, sorry, I just thinking about meat mill. <laughs> Check out my wrist. <laughs> but it's like becoming a thing. Like Rick Ross, you know, buy back the black. Like yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Like yeah. the idea of success within material possessions. It's it's that trend is starting to change. It's yeah. so slow, but it is changing. Yeah. People are starting to come into a place of consciousness as a human race. Um, that's why the entrepreneurship move became so popular is we hit a bubble in society where people were very unsatisfied with their jobs. And that was a massive narrative on social media at one point. It's like, I hate my job. Let me go start a business. No, that's the problem there too, is sometimes starting a business is not going to solve your problems. What people need to also create in that narrative is if you hate your job, leave your job, find another one. If you hate your job, Stop buying expensive stuff to impress people so you don't have to work that job just to pay that high mortgage. If you hate your job, sell your house and rent. Like sometimes the the answer isn't I hate my job, go start a business. Yeah. Like I, I think a lot of times people are using entrepreneurship as a parachute to their problems. And that's where they find the death. It's not the entrepreneurship that's the problem. Like, oh, entrepreneurship is bad. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. And I post a lot of stuff like on Facebook where I always clarify with people, I'm not being pessimistic, but read this article. It's not an article or a post to take people away from being entrepreneurs. It's an art. I post stuff to make people think about why you're becoming an entrepreneur and the emotional, mental, financial and health resources you have to build, to store up first before you can carry that kind of weight upon your shoulder. And you need to be careful of how big you want your business to be if you're not prepared to change. Because a lot of people, they're, they're, 
they don't have an entry goal and an exit goal. They're just like, I just want this thing to become as big as it needs to be. But you haven't thought about what is required to make that happen. So when I tell people, I'm not trying to make $20 million a year, they're like, oh, what kind of lazy ambitions are those? I'm like, I really want to tell them because I know what it's like to make X a year. I won't say that publicly, but I know what it's like to make a certain amount of money. And I know what it, I know what happened to me at that level. So no one's going to ever dictate to me how I should be building my personal success. Um, I think where I am in my life, it's more important for me to spend time with my wife, read books, meditate, pray, teach a class for free at a local university, spend time with a young man or a young woman who needs help in their personal life and growing, maybe buy one car instead of two. Old Matthew used to say, well, I want two Rolls Royces. Well, maybe I just need one Lexus now. I'm not going to change my standard of what I think is nice, but I'm also not going to kill myself to buy two, two uh, Rolls Royces. Maybe I don't need a Rolex. Maybe I can buy a simpler watch. Maybe to serve humanity, I could do a smaller house than a bigger house. Um, there's a gentleman on Instagram. I hope I don't butcher his name. David Meltzer, I think. Mm. He's, a, he's a consultant and he has a sports marketing company. And he said, I drive a Chevy Volt so I can bring more value to people. Mm. I'll never forget that, what he said. He's reducing his life so he can be more of service. Gary Vaynerchuk has actually said that too. He, he, he's made a decision to reduce his life so he can give more to his employees. Now, I may not agree with every statement that Gary Vaynerchuk makes, but that one statement he made was powerful. You know, I think... Without rambling, it, this, is, this is a topic I'm really passionate about because I felt the results of going hard, like really hard. Like you're talking hustle. I'm up at 4 o'clock in the morning and I'm going to bed at like 12 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing that I've for four there, years. Yeah. I saw the health impacts. Um, I think every person has to know what's their threshold and design their life based on their personal goals. If you're single and then if you're married, you and your spouse have to come together and say, hey, this is what's important to us. We know what's important to the world, but in this house, this is what we put first. This is what we think is important. And you build your life according to what's important to you. And then you deal with the ramifications, whatever they may be. If it means two million a year only, fine. I'd rather have two million a year and a happy wife and kids then have $20 million and my wife has left me. Yeah. You know, that's a personal decision that we have to make. Yeah. I have nothing else to say on that topic. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Yep. You lay that to bed. Yeah. Um, man, I, I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you doing this, man. Yeah. This man. was, this was good. Yeah. Um, I know it was all over the place, but nah, I, I know someone, someone would have value. They'll find value in it. <laughs> Is there anything you want to ask? Anything you Man, want? To- no. I mean, I think for me, um, Brandon, I just want to continue to be of service to people um, in a different way than I was at Full Sail. Um, I think that's number one. You know, I look forward to doing more of these with you. I just want to be of service to people. Two, I want to share my story uh, with people um, because I think someone could benefit from it. And at the end of the day, you're my friend. So I love doing cool stuff with yeah, friends, yeah. you know, um, and then anything I can do to serve what you're doing, you know, I'm all about that, man. So, yeah, I've enjoyed my time here today.
Cool. Yeah, man. Cool, man. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, so uh, you can hit me up at on Instagram. That's where I'm at a lot. Is Matthew Dean Let M A T T H E W D E A N L E T T on Instagram. Um, and uh, I am MatthewLet.com. Two T's in Matthew. Two T's in Let. I am MatthewLet.com is my personal website, and my email information is there if someone wants to get in touch with me. Cool. Cool. We appreciate you, man. Yeah, always, man. Always, brother. This is good. Uh, That was Go Talk Podcast, powered by DesignWise. Thank you for listening.